everyone. Welcome to Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Kate Siegel. I'm Nikki Urban, and our guest today is Andre Maldov. We are continuing our FemBot PhD sessions, marking the end of FemBot PhD, and we are so excited to have original member on Andra. Andra, I love you. Nikki, hi. Hi. Okay. Hi. But hi. We just met. Uh, <laughs> thanks for being here. Thank you so much for I'm I'm enjoying getting to talk to each of you. I've gotten to see a lot of Fembot stuff because you know I've been around the pack community for a couple years, but I've never really met any of you in person. So this is really fun for me to get to like learn more about each of you as people because I've got to see you as performers for so long. Wow. It's uh yeah, I mean I know that it wasn't it, it wasn't actually that long ago, but it seems like forever ago that I was (laughs) (laughs) I think uh yeah I think like when big things big events and stuff happen it kind of makes time expand and so yeah it does feel like really far away how long has it actually been uh well stage technically our last show was the Comedy Central stage in March right. 2020. Right. Yeah. But our last, my last show with Fembot officially was over Zoom. Oh, when, which was the show that Allie produced? Was it March, February? Was it Valentine's Day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was a Valentine's Day show. So I, yeah, I logged in for that show. I, I, saw it on YouTube um, with you guys live. And even then watching it is probably my first show that I was watching, you know, as a performer and even watching that show in February, which had been only two months at that point seemed really far away. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow, I like only two months ago, I would have been working on this. And I think that kind of speaks to what a big part of my life and my time Fembot was and doing that. And that once I stopped, it turned out to be one of those big events that kind of separates your past life from an, from the present life, you know? Oh, my God. So you uh, ultimately, you left Fembot and pursuing writing and creative creativity as your like main focus in December for... Yes. To what? go back to grad school and be a therapist. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think also not an uncommon um, Hollywood story. <laughs> think, yeah. You know, I think um, I think people do that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually why we were super excited to to have you on specifically is because you represent like a great example of somebody who really fucking put in the work, put in the time. You wrote for TV, you pitched, you know, you pitched your pilots, you you did, you did the work, you put in the work. And not only that, like you branched outside of just being a writer where you became a, you know, a producer and an actor and performer, which is, you know, which I know was not like super like second nature to you. <laughs> but like you fucking killed it. <laughs> And then and then decided that that wasn't your path. And uh, so we're going to I think we'll get to that uh, kind of your decision. But I think first we want to talk about your like your childhood and what that was like for you. What your parents were like. How did that have an influence on you? 
<laughs> Are you also going to the school to be a therapist? <laughs> uh, I got I got it from you, Andra. I got it from you. Uh, Low-key, low uh, Andra was like, was the unofficial therapist of Femba. <laughs> like it's, it was, it made so much sense when you were like, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm quitting and I'm going to go to grad school to do this, to become a therapist. And we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the world is very lucky because we like you having not been educate, like had an education yet on it and still like all of the things that we learned from you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like, Honestly, like priceless, <laughs> priceless. Okay. The things that I've learned from you, priceless. Well, every um, sketch yeah. team should have like a resident therapist, like a resident <laughs> team therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, you, know, you say untrained, but I've, I mean, I think I've been to so much therapy in my life. <laughs> Basically an apprentice at this point. <laughs> which, which brings us back to your childhood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what do you want to know about my childhood? That I'm four uh, Yeah. <laughs> so like, like Kate, you did not grow up in the United States. You grew right. up in Romania? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. I did. And was born in the 80s, the very early 80s, 82 to be exact. One of those, like, what is it? Old millennials, they call them now. Yeah, uh, Geriatric oh. millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I mean, I mean, I'm looking ready for my Medicaid because that shit is expensive. <laughs> Cheap health insurance, please. Yeah. So I, I was born in the eighties in Romania and. My parents decided to uh, get out of there by any means possible. And my my dad was able to leave the country first through his job. And then my mom and I followed. When my dad left, it was still communist. But then when my mom and I left, it was a different thing. Um, <laughs> we weren't sure exactly what it was. And we didn't stick around to find out. But <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah, so I got to the States and jumped right in the middle of third grade because so I, I we got here during the winter vacation and then spring spring semester I was like here we go uh yeah and they sent me to catholic school to the neighborhood catholic school which was a real bummer for me because back in Romania when I was when I went to school like from kindergarten on they had it was a national uniform you know how like you see you see uh, movies, TV shows like British people, and they're all wearing the school kids are all wearing the same uniform. Mm -hmm. So, so the communists also mm -hmm. had that. We had a national school uniform, and it was it looked like a tablecloth, like a blue checkered tablecloth. Um, the girls' outfits, <laughs> and you had to like wear these bows if you were a girl. Uh, and I just really hated it. And when the revolution came in '89, I was still in school. And I was so excited that the government fell because now it would mean that we no longer had to wear the uniforms because no government, no <laughs> uniforms. But to my chagrin, <laughs> they were like, yeah, the government fell, but the new government is going to keep the uniforms. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> and everyone was like, but don't worry, you're going to America. 
where they don't have school uniforms in, in public schools. Cause I would see like some of the movies with the high school kids driving cars and not like wearing whatever they want. So I was like, yes, I'll wait for America. And then when I got here, went to Catholic school and they had even <laughs> uglier uniforms. <laughs> so awful. Like, <laughs> <it> sucks. <laughs> I like just can picture you as a little girl. <laughs> like now, now I'm picturing you in this like blue check tablecloth dress. Yeah. yeah. Like standing in a, a bread line, <laughs> like waiting. And then of course, yeah. So that was, was that like a huge shock coming to America? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember it being, I remember it being like more of a shock for my mom, you know? Cause yeah. also as a kid, I, I, me, for me, I didn't really worry where my next meal was coming from. And that's a testament to my mom and dad and grandma and stuff and the adults around me. But I, I guess as an adult, you'd be very frightened uh, at not getting groceries because you got a kid to feed, but it just kind of went over my head. I'm glad for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really lucky. I had a really nice, I actually had a really nice childhood. The outdoors were very accessible. You know, I, I lived in a, I lived in a pretty big town for the country, but the, the countryside was always like right there. And my grandfather, my grandfather was like a, a hobby um, beekeeper in his retirement. So he would always take his little like beehives and go, uh, go to like orchards and stuff and, you know, pollinate, have them pollinate fields and it was nice to just like kind of run around outdoors all the time in the summer yeah 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 Yeah. Kate talked about that too like how nice it was to have that kind of childhood of must have been nice no (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I think so I when I when I came here I remember being introduced to Barbie for the first time Mm. and I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it now, there's a, there's a really big, let me, let me just, I don't know how to say this. Obviously there's a difference, but I don't don't know what the difference is, but there's all of this narrative and story and everything like associated with brands here. Like Barbie has a whole backstory and universe and like Marvel comics have the same thing and things like that. And like every doll you buy here has to it has like a, a universe that it sucks you in and like, like Disney, right? Like you, you get sucked into it and then that's, there's like infinite number of things you can purchase in that universe, right? Like yeah. it's just, yeah. Yeah. To complete it. And, and the story, like it's, it's just Barbie's story, right? Another doll has like another identity and I just did not have that as a kid, like a doll, you could just make it into any, like a doll was just like this generic kind of, like, I did not have any brands growing up. It wasn't like, you're right. Like brand identity is such a huge part of like American consumerism. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's cool. I don't think, um, I don't know if ever as a kid, I got a doll and I was like, she's going to be a marine biologist. I mean, that's probably (laughs) something that just Barbie, to be fair, back in the 90s, I also don't remember having marine biology Barbie. Like it was just Mm. like, it was like Malibu Barbie or I don't know, some other glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. Barbie was pretty much just like chilling out in that. Oh man, that, that like, 
convertible that had the or like the the limo that had the like hot tub at the back. In the back. Uh huh. Yes. Oh man, that was like the dream mobile. Um, I had my friends had that, and I was like so jealous. They also had a life size Barbie. I was like, oh wow. And then there was like the Barbie jeeps and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, me, me and my jankety ass hammy down Barbies <laughs> with like nail polish on the titties. Like, you're like, cool, I'll take this. Uh, so, so you're, you, you're now in, uh, let's skip ahead to America. You just moved here. Do you speak any English when you moved here? No. Well, I spoke, um, I spoke a little bit that I learned in school. Okay. Um, so like enough to get me by, but it was, it was the ones that they taught the English they taught in school was like British English. So I would just kind of like say weird things like, how do you do? And uh, Uh yeah, so it was like weird English until I kind of got that they speak a different English here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining you as a third grader be like, fancy a fag. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I sure know, good students. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot seem to find the lift. That's the. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. I learned pretty quickly because of TV. So there's that. There's oh. a good. There's a good side to. What kind of TV did you like to watch when you were a kid? Strictly cartoons. Yeah, I think I was on cartoons for a while. Yeah, that and um, weirdly, I watched soap operas. Uh, yes. Would, yeah. Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful, because those were the ones that came on when I came back from school. And for anybody trying to learn English, soap operas, I can highly recommend them because they, they speak very clearly mm. on soap operas. Yeah, like I think that's probably why I don't have a New York accent. I just have this very generic soap opera TV accent. And and uh, this is meant as no offense to soap operas. I think this is probably one of their goals. but um, the, conversations are kind of simple yes follow so yeah just a little tip if any of your listeners are wanting to learn english there you go that's the secret if if they have gotten this far yes understanding (laughs) actually when i was when i took spanish in high school that's what our spanish teacher told us they were like telenovelas watch telenovelas you'll pick it up yeah oh that's smart yeah let's get into now sort of your path to doing creative things mm-hmm. well, uh how did you how did you get into doing creative things and then figure out that you wanted to be a writer so i do remember one just very brief period maybe it only lasted like 2 weeks so i didn't really stick with it but when i was watching the soap operas and i had gotten really good at english at this point but I kept watching the soap operas, obviously. I like tried to write a soap opera <gasps> based on like Young and the Restless. <laughs> Cause I also think like the the motivation for it was that my mom got this new typewriter. This was the 90s, by the way. So she got a typewriter because she was going to like computer school at the time to make more money. And I was like, I want to play with the typewriter. So that's like my first, I think. That was in like fourth grade. Didn't do anything creative after that. I think, you know, maybe I did some art projects or something. But you're talking about 
how I made it to Hollywood. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose so. Like, why'd you move to LA? I moved to LA because I had a friend who was putting together this horror film. He was like, oh, I knew him from New York. And I um, I think, I, yeah, I was already graduated. I'd done my things. And I came out for like a break to like help him work on it. I was on set for a few days and I was like, oh, this is cool. It's really cool working with a group of people towards the same idea. It kind of gave me the contrast that I needed to publishing, which I was mm -hmm. kind of having doubts about at the time. Publishing and editing and stuff like that just involves a lot of like sitting in a room by yourself and it's very it's a more academic yeah I don't know I just I guess I like the vibe little did I know <laughs> <laughs> that was uh yeah but yeah and so so I was like oh I think this is cool maybe I'll move to LA and try to work in and I didn't really like have an idea at the time of um, what kind of work I could do out here, right? Yeah. Um, I just floundered around for for some years doing work that's like not related to the industry because I had it in my head that if I didn't go to school, like if I didn't go to film school, I couldn't be on a film set because a nobody would hire me because I don't know what a T stand is and. If I did get on a film set and I would like fuck something up, like, of course, I would fuck something up because I didn't go to film school. <laughs> so I just because like doing other other things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What and kind of other going, things? Oh, I was teaching English, nannying for a while. I worked at like a rare bookstore. I for I forgot, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch like a yeah, a bunch of like entry level things. But you didn't ever look like seek out set production jobs just because you were no. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh people were telling me like, oh go work as a as an agent's assistant. And that seemed more terrifying to me than literally <laughs> than like working on a film set because I'd heard yeah. all of these stories of like abuse and um yeah like a very like hostile work environments and all of like all the stories that I would hear about it from like networking with people um they all seem to have it like as a badge of honor like having you know insults hurled at you by your boss and I was like I, I just I'm not made for that like yeah no I won't be able to do it and whatever rite of passage this is like maybe I just won't cross that gate I don't know it seemed like it seemed like entitled at the time so I don't really talk about it but now as a an older lady <laughs> somebody a little more seasoned as I kind of want to be like no fuck that kudos to you for knowing a boundary and like yes. for yourself and not yeah hell yeah when did you start writing I started writing. I mean, I started writing as soon as I got here. As soon as, right, even before I was, even before I moved to LA, I was writing. But I didn't really, I didn't really like get into it a lot until maybe like two years in into living in LA. The first first pilot that I wrote, based on my experience of working at this ESL school at the English as a Second Language School just like my first job in LA. And I, I wrote a pilot based on that and kind of like put it away for a while, started writing another pilot with 
a friend of mine that I met in a writer's room and went out pitching with that. So, so that was like my first experience pitching. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. It was an animated show. Uh, yeah. And it, you know, never went anywhere, but it was a great first experience. Really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah these writers, these writers rooms, like, were you like, were you going online and finding these places? No, the writer's room that I met him in was for the show called Sunny with a Chance. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a Disney show. Yes. Yes. And yeah. Um, yeah. How did I get in there? I was only in there for like a week, just shadowing the writer's assistant because I was oh. looking for writer's assistant's jobs. And how did, wait, so how did you get that? Yeah. My roommate. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my roommate at the time was interning for Hannah Montana. And this is way back. And uh, she just like, made friends with this uh this guy on there this one of the writers and she was like oh my roommate wants to be a writer too why don't you have coffee with her and yeah we had coffee together and he was like oh let me see if I can talk to my other friend who's running this show if you can like shadow a writer's assistant and that's how that happened. Wow. Uh, the, the first time I ever saw you was actually um you were on stage at UCB for UCB's like it was like sketch. I think it was like the okay. sketch sketch three. No, I think it was actually sketch three. You're like your class show. It was with like Leanne Bowen oh and God. I think Joey Clift. And I think he was like cat, like a cat themed. No, it was not cat themed. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I just, I remember, <laughs> so like, I remember you like coming on stage and like, you were like, you had this like clip, like a clipboard, like you were playing a, like a research person. Yeah. And I don't know why I like clearly can remember you coming through the state, like through the door at UCB Franklin. Cause I went and saw, uh, uh, like I was on a team with Leanne Bowen. Yeah. Uh, in, and she talked about you, like Leanne talked about you and about how much she like, liked you and liked working with you. And I Aww. very clearly remember that. So that way, like then when I came and joined Fembot, it was like, oh, awesome. Like I already like, like I already like knew, but I think we already yeah. technically knew each other yeah. before that we had already met each other, but I had that like thing. so funny. Yeah. Like I, it's, I very clearly remember you coming out that door with that clipboard, which is, I see thousands of shows. <laughs> um, so how did you, so you were writing and then yeah. you figured out, what did you figure out you wanted to do comedy and then started at UCB mm-hmm. or how did that work? I, yes, I did this pitching, pitching process and I was like, wow, this takes a long time. I'm like writing things and they may not ever go anywhere. I had also kind of like gone through this breakup and I just was like, what am I doing? And then also this roommate, the Hannah Montana intern at the time, was like, you should do something completely different. Get out of your, you know, writer thing. Well, you should do improv. I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds fine. Because I was like, a, I, I still am pretty shy, but I was like a painfully, very shy, very cl- kind of closed off person. And um, yeah, I signed up for like Improv One or something at UCB. I'll never forget <laughs> the poor teacher. I don't remember the teacher's name, but it was like at the Lyric Hyperion. It wasn't even at the Franklin location. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, would, I would, I forget how many people were in the class maybe let's say 11, whatever their standard 
class size was. And they would have us do like these exercises, the improv exercises. <laughs> and it was one where you like, there were two lines and two lines of people facing each other. And there was like some back and forth or something. You would have to like come together in the middle and make a scene. And <laughs> never acted before, never did. Like, this is my first time. Like, I even hate public speaking and stuff. And I would just go up and I would like do the scene. And then when I did my line, I would like look at the prof- at the teacher and be like, did I do it right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that I was doing this. And at one point he was like, you don't need to look at me. Like, I don't know if you did it right. It, you, this is not like a test. <laughs> it was very trippy, very trippy. So it was not something I pursued, but it was uh, really cool to get out of like the brainy side of writing and trying to figure out stuff, you know, on the page. Um And then I was like, I don't think improv is for me, but they're offering sketch classes. And this was like in the beginning, the very beginning of UCB sketch classes. And I took a sketch writing class because I was like, I'm not a fucking performer. I don't want to ever do this. (laughs) Let's let's do sketch writing. And I really liked that. I, I kept up with it because I think at this point I was going, I was developing my second pilot or, you know, the ESL pilot. And I was... I think I was going pitching with it. I don't know. Right. Probably maybe it was a talent. I don't remember exactly the timeline, but what I really liked about sketch was that you could write something real quick and put it up and you got a laugh or you didn't. And then you like moved on. Whereas with the pilots, I was like, God, six months into something, getting my fourth round of notes and maybe, or maybe not would anyone else ever read it. Like, had no idea. So sketch was a really good way to get out of that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And have it, have it be really immediate. And then UCB, God bless them. Very great experience, but I was like, I want to try something else. (laughs) So I think that was when the pack was also opening Mm -hmm. up. And I think Joey, Joey Cliff told me about the pack where he was like, yeah, these people are doing something really cool. You should check them out. And and I did. What kind of sold me on it? I think it was maybe like a like a Heather Ann Campbell show or something mm-hmm. that probably sold me on it. <laughs> so like the midnight the midnight show. That's like for a lot of people came over to the pack from like watching the midnight show at UCB. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. It wasn't yeah. that. Heather That's- Miles. I think that. Was- yeah, I think it was Heather and Miles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I wasn't there to do improv, I was like. They're doing so. They were doing something that, like, I hadn't seen. You know, yeah. Like Groundlings or UCB. I was like, this is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. super cool. And uh, it was in that class then that um, I met Jessica and Denise Ojeda mm-hmm. and Linda, and then the rest is history. Right, right. <laughs> well, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So originally, Vemba had started as Ladage, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, we didn't talk about this uh, on the on the Jessica episode, but uh, I really do think the uh, the beginning of Fembot is really fascinating of like how you formed. So from what I understand is Ladage, which turned into Fembot late Fembot PhD later, formed because 
the group of you like were in a class together and it was a big class and the whole goal of the class was to put on a show and this smaller group of people were not super happy or just didn't feel like their your voices were being out there so you created your own opportunity because you were like hey we're we want more opportunity than what we're being given or than what we're having right now Mm -hmm. right is that is that right Yeah. In a nutshell, I don't want to get the details wrong. I didn't like go back through the emails to research this, but (laughs) (laughs) rewind the tapes. From what I remember, Denise, Denise sent out an email to the girls in the class where she was like, we're not getting the roles that we deserve basically. And not in so many words, but she was like, yeah, we're not, we're being underrepresented. Who wants to take our sketches and put them up around town at like open mics, you know, sketch open mics and just to put them up to get audience feedback. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think me, Jessica and Linda responded. Yeah. So we just, we just, the four of us went to, um, what what was that UCB? The go sketch yourself. Go sketch yourself. Oh no. Uh, it was in the, sanctuary whatever right oh man i used to do this all the time no i've done that too shabby not too shabby shabby. yes not too shabby yeah not too shabby was a cool opportunity i always thought yeah because if you wrote a sketch and you like you couldn't get real like it was hard to get feedback in classes from students i think it was a really cool place to get actual feedback on something you were working on yeah yeah and there was i think there was another one at io that we put up and there was um i think the i think at this point the clubhouse was up and running too so we would go there and so we just did that with like a couple of sketches that were trying to work out and then denise started getting emails like inviting us to like different shows to to Mm. stuff up and she was like should we just call ourselves something and just be like a team um, so that they can call us out, you know, at, at the show. And that's how Ladage got formed. And it was just like our initials. Yeah. Oh. So it was originally just, uh, yeah, it wasn't even with the intention of breaking off from the class and doing our own thing. It was more just like, I mean, it was essentially, but not with the intention of forming our own side right. to, to compete. Or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, just kind of how it ended up. Uh, and from what I understand, uh, some people in the class were not happy with you breaking off and doing your own thing. I've I've heard. I have heard too. I have heard too, but I could not point exactly. There's no <laughs> documentation. Give me names. No. <laughs> uh, but then, so like. So then you're doing this, you're like going out and for doing stuff. And how did it get, uh, how did it then transition from Ladage to Fembot PhD? Um, and it, and I think it's yeah. okay to be somewhat respectfully honest about the circumstances because this is the reality. Like we're not trying to pull wool over anyone's eyes about the process. Yeah. Uh, ended up being Fembot when Linda um, like left the team. Mm -hmm. Like it was really early on. I think it was like after a Christmas video that we put out. Um, Yeah, I think officially from what I remember is like she got really busy and then the team wasn't like offering her 
what she needed like creatively and again this is so long ago at this point uh mm-hmm. and if that's not the case i'm happy to uh, redact my statements <laughs> that's what i remember it and um once she left we had to rebrand so we came up with a new name and it was the three of us for a while and Denise, think, jessica and you right yeah yeah and i think it was uh just was like man, it's kind of hard to put out videos with three people and <laughs> kind of hard to find find that groove. And um, I think Kate at this point was back from San Francisco and I'd known her from like a couple of other projects. And I think, I think we hung out and she was like, yeah, I you know, want to like do stuff, acting and, and sketch comedy, like what you're doing sounds kind of cool. And then she joined the team. And uh, then I think we added... You or Julia? I'm not sure. Well, da- Danny, Danny yes. Emerald. There was a there was a man, a real live man on Sembot PhD there for a good while. Well, yeah. I didn't Danny's, know that. Yeah, Danny's awesome. He's such a sweetheart. Danny's amazing. He actually was on. He was doing two teams at the right. same time. Hundred percent stuff and Sembot. Oh, and- right. This is very. This is very fun to me because the pack was forming. And yeah. like the pack has decided to do sketch, like a sketch night of sketch teams. So they were building up their sketch teams and like, you know, doing that. And then Fembot was asked to be part of sketch night. Yeah. Uh, that's how Fembot got to the pack where it became yes. a monthly show was because right. Eric Money Penny was working with Denise and he asked Denise if Fembot would come on and do a regular monthly show. Uh, and that came directly from the work that you were doing outside of the pack. And yeah. that came from like, you guys had already proven yourself as like a team that was like formed and that would work and that would be consistent. Yes. Uh, and then was asked to be part of, so it was like grandfathered in. And my favorite thing, <laughs> Denise straight up told Eric that like, we will be part of Sketch Night. You have zero say over what we do. Like you don't get to choose our members. You don't get to have any say over what we're putting up. She's like, that's, that's the Denise. Like what a badass. She was like, cool, cool, cool. You can't do any, you can't touch us. And that's sort of like, it was very cool to be grandfathered, like to come into a team that was not able to be (laughs) essentially touched by the people in charge of the the theater. I mean, obviously, like we could have been, yeah. but for the most part, the mentality was like Eric and the sketch program just sort of left. Yeah, PhD. Yeah, we had we had creative control over over that stuff, and yeah, because the pack teams, I think, kind of like UCB, right? Like, there's just the theater puts new team members. Together. You don't really get a choice yeah. on who you're on a team with. You just sort of like, and people get taken off teams, and mm-hmm. so at this point, you're doing you know fembot. Every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How, did, how was it for you? Oh, it was super cool. It was, uh, I think, my first taste into how to how to treat it like a job. I never had the idea or like I never had the vision that doing this kind of work, writing, performing, 
never really thought that it could be structured the same as the way that I do my schoolwork or the way that I do my job. So, so being on FemBot and, and having this, you know, writing and rehearsing schedule and preparing for a show and having like all these steps to do before a show, I guess I just was introduced to, oh, this is an industry. Naively, even after all the years being around the industry, I still kind of, you know, like when I, when I was a kid and like watching TV and stuff, I was never under any other impression that like people just kind of come together and this, you know, they like act <laughs> and then it, <laughs> and then a show happens, right? And obviously I'd been in, in LA long enough written right and been on sets and stuff to understand that it does not how it works but really being in fembot like solidified what kind of work it takes to really bring a product yeah whatever it's like yeah there's something super distinct from from being on a set or, or doing something like recorded um live performances mm-hmm. something very distinct and it's like a, I think it was it just got like draining towards the yeah. end uh it is it is very cool it's very cool for me having seen you when you were sort of like one of your first when you're one of your first stage experiences as a performer and then to work with you on Femba and to see like you grow as a performer and, you know, like you, you did some really, really fun characters and I know acting and that for the performance aspect of it, you being a shy person, that's not like, that's not second nature to you. So what made you decide that you were going to like, was it a conscious decision that I'm going to get more comfortable with this yeah. and why? Yes. And I'm not sure why, maybe just sheer spite and stuff. <laughs> 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 genuinely I think so yeah although it got exhausting towards the end and and for reasons that maybe I don't even know yet why for a period there I started taking like scene study classes mm-hmm. and not you know not interested in acting but really loved rehearsing and scene study and it was it, it was just like one of the coolest things that I did and I, I also took voice lessons at one point um and that I definitely did out of like a, a an overachiever instinct yeah because I was, was like it, is it is it because we were making fun of you for not being able to sing <laughs> <laughs> we used to harass her all the time because it was real cute yeah yeah I was it was more just like uh, I, I don't <laughs> mind getting a laugh, but I want it to be on purpose. It was yes, yes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am. I am sorry about that. <laughs> no. no, it was a great thing that I did. It was one of the one of the best things that I could have done for myself. Yeah, it was a really great experience. Taking the scene study classes was. I don't know. It just was like I don't think I'll ever go skydiving. Because it just doesn't seem like something that would be rewarding to me. But the idea of like doing something that you always thought would be too terrifying or too and uh, not you, you know, I, I recommend it. It's it's very rewarding. Yeah. Mm, I like so, that. Yeah. But then it started getting exhausting, the whole process, right? Because you had by this how many years had you been into doing specifically Fembot PhD on a regular basis? 
Yeah. Five right? years. Wow. Yeah. It took you five years to get exhausted. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we're not being, you know, like none of us are being paid for Like we're putting the money into this. We're investing so much. So it's like, yeah. you have to have a real, like a real love for it in order to keep doing it for that long. And it makes total sense that you would have that point of like, yeah. cool, I'm tired now. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was. And it was like, um, kind of around 2018. So part of my Part of what I do, like as my volunteer work is environmental um, advocacy. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like pay attention to the news items um, in this area and things like that. And sort of around 2018, I started getting more into like the action side of things, like doing, you know, direct actions like protests and things like that. So one thing that came out in 2018 was the IPCC report, basically, that was like, we have 12 years to act on climate before it becomes irreparable. And we can't, like, before it becomes even worse than what we are talking about now. And it was the first time that there was a time marker on it, almost like a deadline, or yeah. or just a real point in time that I could look at. This was like kind of around the time that I hit my 10 year mark in LA. So I had an experience of how quickly 10 years can go. And then having like a point in the future, 10 years from then to look, look to, I was able to be like, wow, it will be 10 years from now. And I will be able to look back on 10 years, just like I'm looking back on 10 years in LA now. And it was like, how am I going to remember these next 10 years, you know? Am I going to look back on these 10 years and see myself like driving all around LA, trying to convince people that I am worthy of, you know, having a creative position or whatever, or like to buy this. Yeah. I was really able to put it in time and, and look back. And I, one kind of fun, but kind of heartbreaking thing was I even was like, okay, let's say 10 years, let's say in, inside of these last 10 years, I got my dream job where I'm like in a writer's room working on, you know, a fun show. And I put myself in that situation and I like felt myself being exhausted. Mm. And I was like, oh, I don't think this is serving me anymore. Mm. So it, yeah, it was, it's heartbreaking because it's like, oh, but it's also kind of very clarifying too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where I think I just got curious about something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I was able to say that I actually, it wasn't my dream job anymore. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe the reason that I'm tired and frustrated and stuff is because like I made this decision a while ago and I've been acting on it, but I'm no longer like this decision no longer reflects what I want, but I'm still taking those actions. So maybe that's why I'm feeling this way and, you know, exhausted being on stage and exhausted writing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm always looking for that moment for myself of like looking at the future of like, is this what I really want to be doing? Uh, and then I think about uh, the times in the past when I've been the happiest and I'm yeah. like, oh, it's when I've been doing this. Like when I look in the future, I can't imagine myself being 
any happier than being like on set or acting and hosting and entertaining. And I've tried, I've tried, like, I've really like thought about this of like, would I want to do anything else? But like everything else, everything else feels miserable to me. And I really like, I don't know. I really admire you for like knowing that about yourself that, Hey, this isn't, this isn't necessarily what I would be happy with. And how did you come to how, how did you come to the decision that specifically you want to be a uh, go into therapy or be a therapist rather because you're already in therapy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I went to college thinking that I would study psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so in high school, I thought that's what I was going to pursue. And oh. um, at some point in college, I just got discouraged and I was like, I don't want to listen to people all the time. Um, <laughs> it'd be really frustrating when, um, I tell people how to solve their problems and then they just don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think maybe I needed to go through all of these years to kind of mature more and come at it with like a, a better sense of like listening and and on non-attachment and stuff. I think you can only have so many people tell you over the course of a decade, you should really be a therapist before you. <laughs> that might be, that might make me happy actually. Like the idea yeah. of having my own, having my own practice and being in people's lives in this way, mm-hmm. you know, and being in their like stories this way, you know, getting yeah. to hear that. Yeah. You can make such an incredible impact on people on such a micro scale uh that becomes macro uh, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for our listeners whether they are deciding to get into comedy or uh deciding to get out of comedy <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe this is like a first-time guest of like what do you what advice do you have for people getting out of comedy yeah <laughs> i think it's the first time we've asked that question yeah <laughs> take me with um, you no i'm sorry <laughs> Oh man, um, you're you're not wrong. Um, (laughs) Yeah, advice for people getting into comedy. I I would say, like, treasure your connections. Like, as a as a super shy and not very social, outgoing person it's like, it was really hard for me to like network and things like that. And so, so yeah, I would say that would be, that would be a a good piece of advice is even if you only have like three people that, you know, just nurture, nurture that. And like always make your needs known. Mm. Your wants. Yeah. If I, I guess if I could go back and and do it over again, I would be way less shy about talking to people about what I'm looking for, what I'm working on, what I want to do, instead of just being like, okay, well, if you care of anything, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Being more direct. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little more fearless about Mm -hmm. just being like, uh, this is what I'm up to. What do you got? Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, Andra, this has been 
so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Like, I feel like a lot of comedians have that sort of like, is this the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And I think, you know, the fear of change can often inhibit people from yeah moving on when maybe it's time to move on. So I think it's super valuable. And this conversation was super encouraging, like just to know that it is possible to like move on and be happy doing something else. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like we're talking about a cult, but it really kind of is. <laughs> and yes, it could be. But I, I just, you know, as a last thought, like the time that I did spend with Fembot and just in the whole, just the whole thing, pursuing comedy, like I had so much fun and it's so rewarding. And I literally am an unrecognizable person versus when I drove into this town and didn't do any of this stuff. Like, I think we all, like as human beings, like we all learn from each other. And I've been super lucky to be surrounded by great teachers, really compassionate and just fun. Yeah. Hell yeah. You learn so much about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great to be on the podcast with you ladies. Oh, it's so great to have you. Thanks. want to contribute, uh, donate to our podcast and uh, donate to the network that we are a part of, uh, which is doing some really cool things. We're just going to talk to you here a little bit about how you can support women in podcasting and women in comedy. Uh, Yes, we are the Period Podcast Network. We are a network made by she's and they's for everyone. And it's really cool. We're all working together. And the concept behind our network is that everybody Every single podcast that's on the network, we all kind of get paid the same. We are all working together to build up uh, build up each podcast like high tides, raise all ships. Uh, but we need your support in order to do that. <laughs> Kate, tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts that you can see on the Period Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, just so many great podcasts, starting with Tinseltown Tea, which is a movie review and Hollywood gossip podcast. There's Comadres y Comics, which is a podcast that highlights the Latinx community in comic book culture. There's Yes, a Stripper, a podcast about strippers and sex workers and interviews with people in those industries and their allies. There's Girl Boner, which is a health and sexuality and empowerment podcast. Elaine's Cooking for the Soul, which is a post-apocalyptic cooking podcast hosted in a dentist's office. Yes, it's very exciting. And we have a Patreon. Uh, we'd love uh, to see your support if we could. Because, uh, you know, the best way to support is not only just to listen and to appreciate and share, but also, you know, share some of the <laughs> dollar if you got it and our price is not high for five dollars a month you can get um ex- uh, you get an exclusive zine that is created by all of the uh all of the participants on the network uh, we're creating some really cool artwork some articles some poetry it's really really neat and then at ten dollars a month you can uh you'll get exclusive bonus content from each of the uh each of the podcasts. Uh, It's very exciting. There's also a bigger option for like a group Zoom that's like $20. And we highly suggest that because we're all very fun people. So check it out. If you support uh, marginalized voices in podcasting, if you feel like there should be more of them, which you should, guilt, 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 uh, check out all of the 
podcasts on the network. You can go to periodpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon there. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. And if you can, please support the network and support as much as you can women in podcasting and women in, in comedy and women in all things. The Comedy Girl Press Podcast.